Brethren, I was born in a Christian home. The first thing I saw was a Bible. It was read to me before I was born. It was read to me after I was born. I was taught to memorize it from an early age. I remember at five, knowing Romans 5.12, one of the few memories I have from the years before five, but because I was taught the Bible from an early age, it's very easy for me to assume the Bible is the Word of God, the only holy, holy book in the world. But that isn't enough. Our faith is very reasonable, and the Bible says, prove all things. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for their love of the Bible, and I'm thankful for the love of the Bible that they gave me. But I still want to say that it's all of the grace of God that I love the Bible. Because I left home when I was 16 years old, and the last thing on my way out the door my father tried to give me a Bible. And I said, I don't have any need of that where I'm going. The Lord was merciful to me and brought the prodigal son back home. My mother wanted to remind me of that this morning after the sermon, that the Lord's made quite a change in my life from that day that uh, she can still remember when I didn't want the Bible. And now I want it, and I love it. And this afternoon... While the rest of my family slept, I had a precious time just looking, just looking at it and being so thankful for it. I went to a problem text, and I thought in the quiet of this afternoon, I'll add another problem text to an online book that I'm working on called Problem Text. It'll be a commentary on the Bible, but all that it's going to comment on are the hard verses of the Bible. Commentaries are worthless because all the verses that you find difficult, guess what? The authors found them difficult also, so they don't deal with them. And I want to write explanations for the verses that are difficult. And I was over in Leviticus 19, and it was just precious. And it was a precious time, and I'm just thankful to the Lord. But that still isn't enough. We have to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Do you know how far I've made it out of 22 proofs? Nine. This morning was number nine. Let's go to number 10. Amen. Because of its witness. Amen. I want to prove the word of God because of its witness. And that witness is something that God puts inside of every one of us. I referred to it loosely this morning, but I want to show you a couple of references. And two for those, I do turn to the Bible. John chapter 8 and verse 47. John chapter 8 and verse 47. Did you know that if you're a child of God, you have an unction from the Holy One? (laughs) And you know what? If you're not a child of God, you don't have an unction from the Holy One. You've got an unction, but it's not from the Holy One. You have an unction from another spirit to believe the other books and to hate the Bible. And that's going to get us to another proof down the road. But I want to look at the witness of God uh, changing our hearts and putting an internal witness in us. And that's the spirit of the living God. So that when we hear the words that were written by the spirit of God, we believe them. We know they're the truth. It's an internal witness and we cannot neglect it. Because remember, I'm not trying to convince natural men of the validity or integrity of the Bible. I want to convince spiritual men for your faith to grow. John chapter 8 and verse 47 says, He that is of God heareth God's words, 
Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Jesus explaining to the Jews why some believed what he said, and others did not believe what he said. And the difference was made by God, because some had an internal witness, and others did not. The others had the witness of John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. Now, sometimes you might think I'm a little too sarcastic, a little too harsh, a little too cruel, a little too hateful. These are the words of Jesus in the red writing in your New Testaments. John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So there are holy books in the earth that are books of lies. And men believe those books because they are manipulated, motivated, and moved by the spirit of those books, and it's the devil himself. There is an internal witness to the word of God, and it is the spirit of God. God the spirit wrote this book. God the spirit regenerates our hearts so that when regenerate, elect children of God hear the preaching of the gospel, they believe it. They love it. There is no such thing as a child of the devil hearing the preaching of the gospel that loves it, and because he loves it, he therefore is no longer a child of the devil but becomes a child of God. God must do the work first. That's what what it says in John 8, 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. And if you're not of God, if you're in verse 44, no one can ever prove the Bible to you. Oh, there's so many verses on this point. Look at Galatians chapter 4. There's just, there's so many. I just want to give you a few. The point being that God puts a witness inside us. That witness is his spirit. We are dealing with the minority of the earth's population, and they're the only ones we care about. Because they're the only ones he cares about. They're the ones that he has elected, and he has justified, Mm -hmm. and he is going to regenerate, and we want to build their faith in the word of God. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. How does one man recognize the God of heaven and recognize Him so personally and so intimately that He addresses Him as His dear Father? Abba, Father. What makes that difference? The Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn over two pages to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Ephesians 1.17, the Apostle Paul prayed that the Ephesians, notice he says in verse 16 that he's making mention of them in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Amen. The knowledge of God is dependent upon a spirit of wisdom and revelation that God gives, and that is the internal witness of the Spirit of God. And so if you hear the Bible and you love to hear it exalted and you believe it and you want to obey it, it's because God has put a spiritual witness inside you. There is no amount of natural study that can bring this to pass. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it tells ministers to be gentle and apt to teach to all men, and yet it still says God, if peradventure, will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. God must grant repentance for anyone that means he must give it. No, men don't have the ability 
to repent on their own. God must grant it. We don't have the, I don't have the ability to persuade a man to repent on my own. I teach it and teach it in a certain way, and then God must grant repentance. That's the internal witness to the Word of God. If you're to know more about the Bible, after God opens your heart, you need to obey what you do know. As you obey what the Lord shows you, He'll show you more. That's the principle of God's Word. If any man will know His will, John 7, 17, If any man will do His will, he shall know of the doctrine whether I speak of myself or whether I speak of God. That's John 7 and verse 17. You know, that wisdom can only be known. That witness is only known by God's elect. Jesus said, Father, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth. These must be weighty words that he's about to utter. O Lord, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast not revealed these things unto the wise and prudent, but you've hid them from them. And you've revealed them unto babes. Amen. Matthew eleven twenty five through 27. And he goes on to say that no man can know the Son except those to whom the Father reveals him. And no man can know the Father except to those to whom it be revealed. It's a sovereign choice of God for men to be able to see his word and to believe it. But I also want to show you, and I've shown you in John chapter 8 and verse 44, that there is another spirit. Brethren, it motivates the other holy books that are, that are written in this world. Those books just aren't written because a trader, a, a merchant in Mecca, decided 1,400 years ago to write a book. He was given the idea to write a book by a spirit that hates Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Right. And that's why his book hates Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. And the Bible is filled with information warning us about such a thing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul in verse 2 says that he is jealous for the Corinthians. In verse 3, he says he is fearful for the Corinthians. That they would be corrupted and beguiled by Satan just as Eve was. And he goes on to say what would happen. Verse 4, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus... And the Koran preaches another Jesus, very different from the Jesus of the Bible. Right. Whom we have not preached, because the Jesus that Mohammed spoke about was nothing like the Jesus that Paul preached. The Jesus that Paul preached was God, blessed forever. Amen. Right. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. That's verse 4. And if we come down to verse 13, we can read, For such men that do those kind of things, another Jesus, another gospel, and have another spirit, they that are such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. False teachers look like true teachers in some respects and at some times, but that's part of Satan's deception. And so my point being to you is while there is an internal witness to the word of God in our hearts by regeneration, there is an internal witness in their hearts that the Koran is true, and it's the witness of the devil himself another spirit whom ye have not received. And Paul was afraid of that spirit for the Corinthians' sake 
And so he's putting them on guard to be faithful to the gospel he had delivered to them. And that's why I'm preaching on the Bible the way that I am. If a man doesn't believe the Bible, he's under the control of the devil, for God has turned him over to the devil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in spiritual places. We're not wrestling against men. We can't persuade men. We can't move natural men with natural reasons anymore than Lazarus could have got the rich man's five brothers to repent. It requires a work of grace. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, these aren't popular verses. But look what... No one else wants to preach these verses. You don't see them on, on billboards beside the highway. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When a man will not humble himself before the word of God, by the internal witness of the spirit of God, God has left him under the control and influence of the spirit of this world, and that's the devil himself, and turned him over to delusions for him to believe a lie that he might be damned. If that doctrine's too hard for you, there are 400 Baptist churches in Greenville County that will preach you a different doctrine. It will preach you a doctrine that God loves everyone and wants them all to believe the truth. When in fact, when Jesus Christ was on earth, he wouldn't preach but in parables to the multitude because he did not want them to understand, nor did he want them to be converted. Matthew chapter 13. That nation had been sent prophets for hundreds of years, and that nation had rejected those prophets, and so God rejected them. God doesn't owe any man the truth. That's the, that, this all becomes very easy and is very reasonable if you just understand God does not owe us the truth. He doesn't owe us the next breath. He doesn't owe us heaven. He doesn't owe us anything. If he owes us anything, he owes us eternal hell right now because he owes that by divine justice. And it's only His grace and mercy that holds that back. But that's what the Bible teaches. But I want to go on and show you verse 13. And here's what makes the difference. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that receiving the Apostle Paul and his preaching was because of the sanctification of the Spirit of God. That internal witness of the Spirit of God and that witness within us was by by God's choice from the beginning. And brethren, it tells us we ought to always be thankful. If you believe the truth, it is not because you are intelligent. It is not because of coincidence that you heard it. It is by the grace of God, and you ought always to be thankful for it, because God has from the beginning chosen you to it. None of us deserve it, and none of us would find it if it wasn't for God's grace, because the Bible plainly says there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 11. If you don't think Hindus, Muslims, 
and other pagans are moved by demon spirits, then I've got a proposition for you and anyone listening to these tapes. This church has enough funds in its general fund account that we will send any skeptic who doesn't believe this to any Hindu or Muslim country of your choice with a one-way ticket. You will not need a return ticket because here's the proposition. You don't think they're demon-possessed. Then you take our one-way ticket that we'll pay for. We'll even put you up in a hotel for a few days for you to get your courage up to do what I'm proposing to you. And that is you go down on a street corner and begin preaching Jesus Christ. You tell them in that city or place the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. You tell him what he thinks of other religious leaders and that there is salvation only by his name and only through him can you get to God the Father and only by him can you have eternal life. You will find in a couple of days that my proposition is true that they are demon-possessed because they will kill you. They will not allow an intolerant Lord Jesus Christ to be preached. If you preach Jesus Christ as one of the million gods that the Hindus have, they might let you stay for a while with a secondary status. But if you preach the Jesus Christ of the New Testament, you'll find out that they're demon-possessed because you will see such irrational ferocity against you that ordinary men don't have. Because they're, they're under the total delusion of the devil. That is why the apostles were given the encouragement of these words. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Amen. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel in all nations. And this statement back in Matthew chapter 16. Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. And if you were, those apostles took the gospel everywhere and preached everywhere and they lost their lives for doing it. But they preached that gospel everywhere because God held back Satan. But brethren, we're living in the last days, and I believe that spirit has been loosed. He's got a short time before the coming of Jesus Christ, and he's doing all that he can to take away the knowledge of God and his son Jesus Christ out of this earth and true Bible Christianity. But if you don't think there's another spirit, just go get a group of Hindus or a group of Muslims and preach the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Let me move to another proof. Now, this sounds so similar, but it's very different. Because of its witness, number 10, that I just gave you is the Spirit's witness within us. We know it's the Word of God. And I could give you many verses. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Amen. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but we have the Spirit of God, so we have the mind of Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. I preached those verses to you recently about the mysteries of God. They've been revealed to us by that witness. But let's go to another one, and that's because of its witnesses. Plural. There are witnesses to the Bible. Great men. And great nations, as measured by virtue, righteousness, truth, liberty, and other marks of spiritual nobility, have been without exception in the history of the world believers in the Bible. Great men. If you measure great men by virtue and righteousness, truth and liberty, integrity, morality, have been believers in the Bible. What Muslim nation can be compared 
to the United States in those categories. What accomplishment of spiritual virtue and value can be traced to the Quran? What Hindu or Buddhist holy book has witnesses like I'm describing? Even in Christian nations where the Bible is not emphasized, so-called Christian nations where the Bible is not emphasized, there's a marked decrease in all measures of human accomplishment and moral integrity. Because the Word of God has witnesses to it. And that is men who accomplish things that are measured by virtue and righteousness and integrity and truth and liberty and justice and judgment. And these are terms taken out of Proverbs chapter 8, which are what follow the words of wisdom. Those men have been believers in the Bible. Let me read you a few. Our first president and the father of this country. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Patrick Henry, one of our great first patriots, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. President Andrew Jackson, the Bible is the rock on which this republic rests. Daniel Webster, if there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Amen. Noah Webster, all the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Abraham Lincoln, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. George Washington Carver, the secret of my success, it is simple. It is found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. Number eight, Queen Victoria of England. That book, speaking of the Bible, accounts for the supremacy of England. William Gladstone, four times Prime Minister of England. I have known 95 of the world's great men in my time, and of these, 87 were followers of the Bible. The Bible is stamped with a specialty of origin, and an immeasurable distance separates it from all competitors. Number ten, Sir Isaac Newton. There are more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history. And on and on we could go and read men who accomplish things. Now, now mark my words. Just because a man makes money, Bill Gates doesn't have the, have the foggiest notion of God or the Bible. That isn't what I'm talking about. I talked about measuring men by what they did in bringing about equity. Wisdom, righteousness, virtue, morality, liberty, truth, justice, those fruits that Proverbs chapter 8 lists and describes. And those men that accomplished that in the world were followers of the Bible. There are many witnesses. But now I've got a better category of witnesses. I want to talk to you for a minute about the martyrs. The Bible has a great cloud of witnesses. And they are the ones that were willing to die for this book. Now, I hear a little voice. It doesn't sound very clear, 
because it doesn't speak straight English. But I hear a little voice saying, but didn't 19 men fly planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the cornfield in Pennsylvania because they were martyrs for their holy book? So let's define what a real martyr is. Let's define what a real martyr is. Those men did that out of hate. Those men did that for a harem in the sky where they could have 72 virgins while they laid in a couch in the shade. Those men did that killing people on their way out of this world. Let's look at real martyrs. Let me show you that there is a great cloud of witnesses to the integrity of the Word of God. Is it fair to say that if you give your life, you must believe something rather strongly? If you lay down your life passively, cheerfully, praying for those that are killing you, is that pretty good evidence that you must believe it rather strongly? If you have no gain to pursue in this world, but you give your life for a book that tells you about a God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is that pretty good evidence? That's a great cloud of witnesses. Brethren, life is precious and death is painful. Why would men cheerfully die for merely possessing or preaching or distributing the Word of God? Because they knew it was God's Word. There is a great cloud of witnesses. More men have died for this book. I'm not talking about holy wars. I'm talking about dying innocently like sheep at the hands of enemies for this book, the Bible, than any other book. Amen. And none have died the way that Christians have died for the Bible. Those men did not die for... Bible martyrs do not die for eternal life. Those 19 that went into the World Trade Center were told that if they were to die that way, they gain eternal life. The Christian martyrs did not die to gain eternal life because Jesus Christ had already gained eternal life for them. Big difference. The Christian martyrs did not die to defend a state church or a national religion like all Muslims do for their... 7th century Arabian cultural fantasy from the Middle East. Christian martyrs do not die that way. Christian martyrs were not promoting anything like that. No natural kingdom on earth. They gave up everything in order to follow Jesus Christ, and then they laid down their lives. They did not seek any earthly gain. They lost it all for heaven's promise. They didn't die threatening, but they died passively without resistance or cursing. They did not die fighting, but rather praying for and forgiving their executioners. They passively, cheerfully, willingly went to the stake, went to the lions in in the Colosseum, and were persecuted and chased and tormented and killed across Europe for 1,200 years. Cardinal Hoseus at the Council of Trent in the 1500s said, if we hadn't been cutting these Baptists with the knives for the last 1,200 years, they would outnumber all the Reformers. They died very differently, and brethren, that's a cloud of witnesses. Why do we know the Bible is God's word? Because there's been this great crowd of men and women and children who willingly laid down their lives passively without resistance for the Bible. Men burn at the stake in our mother England for printing and publishing the Bible. John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, when he's being burned at the stake, he cried out, God, open the eyes of the king of England. And did he? That was in the the 1500s when William Tyndale cried out those words as he gave his life. And what was he dying for? Because he had put the Bible into English. 
What did John Wycliffe die for 200 years before that? First translation of the Bible into English. William Tyndale printed them. They couldn't stand it. They dug up William Tyndale's bones 40 years later, the Catholic Church did, and burned them. Burned his bones because they hated him so much. And those men died willingly, and it's, wit- it's a witness to the integrity of God's word. Let me go to another proof because of its writers. Let's think about the Bible. You know, when men are going to write a book, they better do a market survey, and they better get an author that's going to be respected, and a name that they can put on that cover that's going to carry some weight so it'll sell. But look, think about how the Bible was written. The Bible was written by 40 different authors. So it was a collaboration, right? Forty men got together and they decided that you take this chapter and I'll... No, no collaboration. Forty men spread over 1,600 years wrote the Bible. Forty men over 1,600 years, all kinds of different men from many walks of life. One was an Egyptian prince. Some were kings. Some were shepherds and pickers of sycamore fruit. Remember? Remember? Some were tax collectors. Some were illiterate fishermen. One was an ex-Pharisee. They all wrote different chunks without collaboration, coordination, and it came together in a book. They had different levels of education. One had a high Egyptian education. Another had a high Babylonian education. Others were illiterate fishermen and illiterate farmers. They couldn't read or write, but they got the Word of God down on paper. They, had, they were in many different conditions at writing, sometimes in prison, sometimes out with the sheep. Many different locations, the court of Pharaoh or a pit in Jerusalem. Many different readers. Some was sent to Israel. Some chapters were sent to Babylonian provinces. Some were written to converted Hebrews. Some went to the center of the Roman Empire in Rome. All these different letters and pieces of the Bible written by 40 different men who didn't know each other for the most part over 1,600 years came together in a book we call the Bible. Amen. It's a proof that the Bible is written the way it is and it is the number one seller and has been. How about the different literary styles? Is some of the Bible history? Is some of it poetry? Now, if you love poetry, you're not going to buy a history book. And if you love history, you're not going to buy a poetry book. Is some of it philosophy? Is some of it love songs? Is some of it psalms? Is some of it prophecy? Instruction? Is some of it just personal correspondence? Amen. Like Paul writing Philemon. Incredible. Is some of it just the record of the Babylonian Empire? Daniel chapter 4. I bet I Nebuchadnezzar to all of my governors throughout my kingdom. Look at all the different literary styles. 66 different books. How do you get 66 different books to float together over 1,600 years into one book? Without collaboration. Several languages. Now, try that sometime. Write a book, part of it in one language, part of it in another language, and part of it in a third language. Several languages used. Constant progression. Without coordination, there's an increase in the amount of knowledge communicated from the beginning of this book to the end of it. 
a unified result with a single message. 66 books, 40 writers, all preaching and teaching the same thing because it's written by one spirit. And haven't we learned that verse? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Show me a book like that. 40 authors, 1,600 years from all walks of life, no collaboration, and it just floated together into a book that has been the constant bestseller and changed nations and changed lives. That's the Bible. The Book of Mormon, it was written by a man who was convicted as a teenager in the courts of New York as a liar who used a peeping stone to defraud people of money, telling them that he could find anything they had lost by using his peeping stone. Go home, type in Joseph Smith Peeping Stone. The Koran, collected 150 years after a philandering cutthroat's death. There isn't a single manuscript within 150 years of his death. No one knows really who wrote it. Not a single piece of paper about the Koran until around 800 A.D., 700 A.D., 150 years after his death, written by one guy. Or a collaboration, because it all came together at once. This book was put together over 1,600 years, and chunk by chunk by chunk came together. And the New Testament times, there were so many epistles floating around, but only 27 of them were accepted in the wonderful providential blessing, what we call the canon of the Holy Bible. Listen, why isn't the epistle to the Laodiceans in the New Testament? Why isn't the epistle of Barnabas in the New Testament? Why was it discarded? And these 66 books came together, and then they locked together, and then they were read, and men gave their lives for them, and they changed nations, and they changed lives. And it preaches one message, because the Bible was written by God. There's no explanation for how the Bible could be collected from such diverse writers over such a long period of time and put together into one book and be so successful. That's what you hold in your hands. The next time you pick it up, I hope you'll remember that there's one author, but there were 40 writers and there's 66 books, and it came together by God's providence. The Jews took took care of the first 39 chapters, and the churches of Christ scattered throughout the Roman Empire in its decaying days put together the other 27 books by the grace of God and they still can't explain how it happened but 27 books came together to make our New Testament and that's the New Testament of the Holy Scriptures tonight we've looked at the witness of the Bible you know why you believe it? because God chose from the beginning to sanctify you by His Spirit so that you would hear God's words he that is of God heareth God's words ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. We can then prove the Bible by a cloud of witnesses that came before us who laid down their lives for this book. Didn't lay their lives down like Hindus die in holy wars. I'm not talking about the Crusades. I'm talking about men and women who willingly gave their lives and while they were dying were not cursing their captors or their executioners, but were praying for them and were singing because they were cheerfully showing that a spirit had a hold of them of a higher order than this earth. And that was God's spirit, preserving them in the flames of death because they were willing to die for the word of God that told them 
about their Father in heaven and about his Son, Jesus Christ, who was going to receive them with open arms as soon as they could get out of that body that was burning. And some of the statements they would make can only be made by the witness of the Spirit of God within them, but they are a cloud of witnesses. And then, brethren, if you look at the writers of the book, you know that only God could put together a book written over such a long period of time by so many different men, make it so successful and so progressive in its wisdom and so unified in its message because it only has one message, and that's the truth of God as it's found in Jesus Christ, his Son. I'm sorry that it is so hot in here this evening. I hope that you will love your Bibles, and as we go out of here tonight, that you will take them and open their pages in the privacy of your home and look at the words that are there as the words of the living God to you and love them, memorize those words, appreciate them, study them. I'll help you. If you're reading something and you stumble upon some, uh, a question that comes up, call me, email me. I will work for you because I'm your servant. And if I can help you in the word of God, that's my greatest joy. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to the salvation of your souls. Amen.